From Schwartz Media, I'm Osman Faruqi. This is 7am. A year ago this week, a 28-year-old Australian man walked into two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand and killed 51 Muslim worshippers. I'm the editor of 7am, and this week I'll be filling in for host Ruby Jones as we cover the aftermath of Brenton Tarrant's massacre. From first-hand reporting in Christchurch to secret government documents exposing the threat of far-right terrorism in Australia, we'll explore the legacy of this horrific act of violence and the lessons we've learned or are yet to learn. Today, part one, 35 Widows. A warning, this episode contains detailed descriptions of violence. So this is about Christchurch. I remember I had left my office in Sydney CBD and was walking to meet a friend for lunch in Chinatown. It was around midday. I was checking my phone as I walked and I saw some posts on Twitter about some kind of incident in Christchurch. It it wasn't really clear yet what was going on, but there were reports of a shooting. After lunch, I checked my phone again and more details had filtered through. There had been an attack in Christchurch. They weren't sure how many perpetrators were involved, but they had targeted a mosque. And as soon as I heard that, my heart started racing. There was one attacker. He had posted white supremacist slogans on his weapons. He had attacked two mosques. We still didn't know how many people were dead. I actually remember running back to my office because I was desperate to find out more. I had these two instincts driving me. I'm a journalist who spent a lot of time investigating the far right, and if this was an act of white supremacist violence, I wanted to know the details. But I'm also someone from a Muslim background, so I was feeling this personally. I remember receiving messages from friends warning me not to watch the live stream of the massacre. They knew that I'd be tempted despite how harrowing it was. But I couldn't help myself. Remember, lads? Subscribe to PewDiePie. I don't know if it was out of anger or hopelessness, but I started watching the video. I was sitting at my desk with my headphones on and my colleagues were getting on with their work and occasionally glancing at the TV for news updates, but I was fixated on my screen. It was all filmed from the point of view of the shooter as he drove to the mosque, walked in and started gunning down those people inside with deliberate precision. Men, women, children, the elderly, all lined up neatly, row after row, with their backs to the entrance. I've never been to Christchurch, but I'd been in rooms like this hundreds of times, praying in the same way. It was a scene that I was familiar with. To this day, that video is the worst thing I've ever watched, and I haven't been able to get those scenes out of my head. I grew up in Australia. The fact that an Australian could do something like this, it was the first time that I felt I could be killed in my own country just because of my religious background. While I was watching the video, I started getting messages and calls from my Muslim friends terrified about what was happening in Christchurch. They all felt the same thing, like we could be next.
You ready to go? Yep. Elle, you're a producer here at 7am. Tell me about the story you've been working on. Yeah, so um, the past couple of weeks I've been working on this story about the anniversary of the Christchurch attacks. Through your reporting, you met this man, Mohammed Shahadat. Can you tell me about him? A couple of weeks ago, I met Mohammed Shahadat in Christchurch. Mohammed, yeah. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you. I'll take my shoes off. I went to his home and we met there over some plates of samosas that his wife had cooked. This is so good. Yeah, this weather to eat like this one. And yeah, he he told me his story. First off, maybe we should start with can you tell me your name and your age and tell me about your family? Hi, I'm Mohammed Shahadat. My is 31. So Shahadat, which is the name he prefers to go by, he's 31 and he's married with four kids. And he's from India, southern India originally. And in 2018, he, he started looking for a place to migrate and make a better life for him and his family. I like actually New Zealand. I see lots of videos in, in YouTube and Net. So really I like New Zealand's very peaceful countries. And, and so... In November 2018, he got a job working as a chef at an Indian restaurant in Christchurch and he received a, a working visa and, and moved to New Zealand. What's, what's it called again? Bawarji Restaurant. Oh, in Mughal okay. Indian food. I should go try it. Yeah, so please, please. Yeah. <laughs> like most of the staff at the restaurant, Shahadat had, had left his family back in India and, and his plan was to bring them over once he was a bit more settled. So, you know, his substitute family became the people that he, he worked with every day and most of them were, were migrants like him. So, you know, he had a pretty busy but, but good life in Christchurch, working at the restaurant, boarding with a colleague and, and just sort of settling into his new home. Al, can you tell me what Shahada was doing on March 15th, 2019, the day of the Christchurch massacre? So on that day, um, Shahadat and his colleague went to the Linwood Mosque together and they were running a little bit late, but they made it just in time for, for prayers or salah and they walked in and, and took their place on the prayer rugs and, and started their prayers. About 20 minutes into his prayers at about 1.50pm, he heard loud bangs outside. So we actually we heard the sound, bullet sound, but some people didn't expect it either. They're... He wasn't sure exactly what was happening and, and some of the people in the mosque continued to pray. All people, they performing continue, salah, salah for continue. But then bullets started flying into the mosque and, and that's when people realised that there was someone shooting at them. And what did Shahadat tell you happened next? So he remembers crawling on the ground, trying to find his phone to, to call an ambulance. But he couldn't, he couldn't lift his right arm and, and that's when he realised he'd been shot. Just like that. So when I tried this one, so I realised, oh, no, it's not working, no power, nothing. So he looked up and through the glass doors he could see the, the gunman outside was shooting into the mosque. I tried to move with this side. I jumped actually at this side and tried to go corner and a little bit safe. Maybe there's lots of people in corner there. The whole attack only lasted a matter of minutes. It ended when one worshipper went outside and, and chased the gunman before picking up 
a shotgun that the attacker had, had dropped and hurled it at his car, smashing the windscreen. And, and that's when the gunman drove off. So the gunman drove away after being chased out of the out of the area by a worshipper. What was happening to the people at the mosque at that moment? Yeah, so Shahadat had been shot and he was losing blood fast. He he mainly just remembers wanting and needing water. I asked the doctor, give me some water, I need water because it's very dry. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I need this water, but they didn't give it. Someone had made a call to the police and emergency services. And when they arrived, people at Linwood realised that it was the second mosque that had been attacked that day in Christchurch. Breaking news unfolding in Christchurch where there had been two separate shootings at two mosques. The first attack happened at the Al-Nur Mosque, the second at the Linwood Mosque. And I want to ask anyone that was thinking of going to a mosque anywhere in New Zealand today not to go to close your doors until you hear from us again. The shooter, before coming to Linwood, had gone to the Al-Nur Mosque, which is about five kilometres away, and he had walked inside shooting dozens of worshippers and had live-streamed the whole thing. After the shooting, after he emerges out of the mosque, he says, and you can hear him on camera, saying, that did not go to plan. I should have stayed longer. There was time for fuel. I would have liked to have burned the mosque to the ground. And as you could see... Shahadat was one of 100 people shot that day. 49 were injured, another 51 were killed, and the victims ranged in age from three years old to 77. Those numbers paint an incredibly bleak and distressing picture. It sounds like almost everyone in Christchurch's small Muslim community would have been impacted in some way. It's had a huge impact. And, um, you know, for Shahadat, he can't work as a chef anymore and he's, he's permanently injured from the attack. I lost my hand, the right hand. We actually chefs, we are working right hand, mostly cutting and cooking. You know, Indian cuisines nowadays very hard for actually my life. I can't do the same work, the same performance. I can't do. Not possible. That's obviously awful enough on its own, but, you know, it's particularly awful because he was the breadwinner for his family and, you know, he's got a wife and, and four kids. And and I discovered that that's actually quite a common thing. Many of the people injured and killed were actually the main income earners for their families. So the impact on the community was devastating. So we are struggling more in future. It's coming so future. It's very hard to me to face everything. The attack left 35 people widowed. And it's important to remember that this is a community made up of refugees and migrants. And some of these widows have limited English. They can't drive. They're isolated. They don't work and they have young children to care for. With the person they were relying upon gone, what do they do? We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. 
Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. L, the Christchurch attack was one of the biggest massacres in modern history. But it wasn't just devastating because of the large number of people killed and injured. The attack targeted a community that was particularly vulnerable because it was largely made up of migrants without established networks of support. Why is that significant when we're talking about the consequences of something like this? Yeah, so what is happening to the community is in many ways hard to track. But I was speaking to Noor Hamid. Hi, Noor. This is Elle. How are you? Good, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. And her story sort of helped me understand a little bit more about how far-reaching the consequences were. Noor Hamid, she's in her late 20s and... Her family is originally from Palestine. And her family ran a, a local food store in Christchurch called Mefco. So we bought Mefco probably around 2013-2014. Um, it was bought by my dad and my uncle. Um, so my uncle was quite... It provided specialty food items like baklava and Lebanese bread to the Arab community in Christchurch. And, yeah, my uncle was pretty much the guy in charge up until, you know, last year um, because he, he passed away in the shooting. Her uncle Amjad was killed in the attack at the Al Noor Mosque. After that, it was really like me and my dad were the only people left from the family, like that were in the country. So we kind of... So she and her family tried really hard for months after... March 15, to keep the shop going in the wake of the attacks. And then all of a sudden to go from that to being like, hey, you're the only person in Christchurch, like, run the shop. Um, it was quite difficult. It wasn't very easy. Um, when I spoke to Noor, she had just been with the liquidators at the store explaining how to dismantle their specialty baking equipment because the store had gone bankrupt. You know, it's like this huge amount of sadness that comes through. You know, a lot of people are just not there anymore to a lot of people feeling very, very upset about what happened, Um, you know, falling into a bit of a depression over it. Um, Like, nobody really thought, like, something like this could happen in New Zealand. Seven people worked at MEFCO and they were all, you know, close family friends with the owners and, you know, they've now lost their jobs as well. Elle, I, I think a lot of people want to hear a story of a community rebuilding after a tragedy. And to some extent, that has happened in Christchurch. But it sounds like actually the community is still really struggling as well. After spending time there, what's your sense of the way people are coping? Yeah, so everyone I spoke to was really overwhelmed by the way the community in New Zealand had responded. There has been a huge recovery effort. But you know, there's there's questions now about if that's going to be enough to support this community and these people over the coming months and years. I met with Raf Manji. He's a former local councillor in Christchurch and, and he conducted a extensive listening project. As part of this project, he, he was trying to find out what the community really needed in the aftermath of these attacks. So Raf told me that as hard as the past 12 months have been, there's going to be some really big challenges ahead. So the first anniversary, then we've got the trial. So next year looks pretty full on in terms of trigger points. And, I just had... and so all of this 
risks re-traumatising a community that's, you know, still in recovery. And I just had got the sense people hadn't really thought that far. I mean, I think they really thought we've got everything under control. Mm. And I think it was clear to me that this is not under control. And that if you read the literature... Noor Hamid, she told me that, you know, when she hears about shootings elsewhere in the world, she just falls apart. You know, before this happened, I, I could watch that on TV and not be affected and just be like, OK, that's, that's real fucked. How can someone do that? Um, but afterwards, like, it just makes me go to pieces. And it doesn't really matter, like, if it's, uh, you know, the school shooting in America or, um, you know, the hookah bar that happened in Germany. It's just like, how can you do that to another family? Elle, thanks for your reporting on this. Thank you. Hearing these stories, what really struck me was how so many of the survivors, like Shahadat, had come to Christchurch for a better life. And that's why they were targeted in this massacre. And it didn't end with the massacre. A year on, the community is still recovering. They're isolated and facing serious economic hardship. Terrorism is not just one act. It's a continuous act. Tomorrow on 7am, in part two of this series, we reveal the secret ASIO document that outlines the threat of far-right terrorism, right here in Australia. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news, the federal government is meeting with unions and employer groups today to discuss health and safety arrangements for workers and businesses impacted by coronavirus. The summit comes as the Prime Minister is expected to unveil a stimulus package of almost $10 billion in order to boost the economy and stave off a recession. Unions are urging the government to use the stimulus package to support casual workers who lack sick leave and job security. Meanwhile, the Australian share market has recorded its worst ever day since the global financial crisis struck in 2008. Elle Marsh, who reported this episode, is a field and features producer for 7am. Her position is supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. I'm Osman Faruqi. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.